Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Plant Powered People podcast with your hosts, Tony Okamoto and Michelle Kane. Today, we're going to talk about what seems to have become our favorite topic lately. I swear, Tony and I talk about this all the time, and it is the idea of being a perfect vegan and how there is no such thing. Um, this is a topic that is so near and dear to our hearts because we've seen so many individuals who are trying to move forward along a plant-powered journey and who just get kind of um, turned off or turned away or turned back or just feel overwhelmed because of all of the vegan policing happening out there. And so this episode is dedicated to all of you listening who are doing your best or want to do your best or moving in the right direction. Um, that is a beautiful thing. And hopefully this will help you feel comfortable and validated in that. And we're really excited to bring on someone who has been doing this for so long and talking about this issue for so long. He wrote a book called How to Create a Vegan World, A Pragmatic Approach. His name is Tobias Leonard, and he has just really embraced imperfect vegan, imperfection in general, and has made it a topic that is very compelling and inspiring. So we hope that you also are inspired. I know that Michelle and I have learned a lot from this episode and know that you will too. Hi, Tobias. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for inviting me. We're so glad to have you on. Something that Michelle and I love talking about is how it's okay to embrace imperfection and to strive for your best. And so you are the expert and we're glad to have you on. But before we jump into what you do and what you talk about, can you tell us about where you are and what you're up to these days? So I'm in um, in Belgium. Uh, I uh, used to run a vegetarian vegan organization here for 15 years that I left three years ago. And now I focus on uh, well, SIVA, which is the Center for Effective Vegan Advocacy, where I um, give trainings to um, activists together with Melanie Joy, uh, trainings in communication strategy. Uh, I blog for my blog, veganstrategist.org. I do talks about my book, and I'm also co-founder of ProVeg International, which is, uh, I think, the biggest uh, vegan organization in the world, which is uh, situated in, or headquartered in Germany, Berlin. That- that is awesome. I know a lot of our listeners can relate who, even if they're just stepping into kind of the plant-based space, as soon as you start seeing um, how many benefits there are for your health and how great it is for our planet and how many benefits, of course, there are for animals as well, people often start to get really passionate about living plant-based and want to, you know, jump on the roof and sing it from the rooftops and and just let people know like, oh my gosh, there's this way of eating that's uh, got benefits across every category of life, which is wonderful. And so I think um, as people start thinking about, okay, how can we talk about this with people and how can we um, share uh, the plant-based lifestyle in a way that people will receive and won't turn people off and all of that, it's it's really helpful to have people like you who kind of make it your life mission to study what is effective. That's awesome. But yeah. Now, are you from Belgium? Uh, yes, I've lived here all my life. Yeah, I'm 45 years old now. And what originally started you to consider your diet and its impacts on animals and the planet and whatever else that brought you to plant-based eating? Yeah, for me, it was always um, an ethical thing. So I, I was about 10 years old when I realized that there was no difference between a cow and a dog and that there was no reason to uh, eat the one and pet the other. And um, the the thing was that I loved eating meat 
really a lot. And uh, I, uh, I, in the end, I needed about 10 or 12 years to actually become a vegetarian and then later a vegan. So um, I, I, I delayed my, my, the putting in practice of my, of my decision. And in a way, I mean, that, that, that makes for me make eating a lot more animals than was necessary. But in a way, I'm grateful for that in the sense that I can, that it helps me understand how difficult it can be for some people to switch when you like to eat meat, when you're kind of like addicted to, to meat and animal products, then it's sometimes not enough to care. It's not sometimes enough to like just know about all the issues, being aware of it. Um, you have to like be able to find something that is just as as tasty. Uh, and um, for me, that was difficult for a long time. And um, today, I mean, today it's a lot easier than it was 20 years ago when I made the switch. Uh, but I can still imagine that for many people, um, they're afraid of losing something that they really like. And um, and that even health motivations or animal rights motivations are not uh, not enough to counter that fear. Yeah, and something else that's really helpful is the support. Is that something that you had? Did your family support you along your journey? Um, well, my mom was into into health food, um, and um, she she cooked vegetarian now and then, actually, um, which I was protesting whenever she did it. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. But, uh, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I really said like I I want steak on on my plate. Um, but then when I actually went vegetarian, which was for other reasons than for than what she cared about, which was health, she actually found it too um, too extreme. And certainly then later when I went vegan, um, even more so. But now she's um, she's vegan herself. So um, there was not too much protest, but it was not as if as if it was like entirely supportive either. It, it's funny that you mentioned that you wanted steak when you were offered vegetarian options because I was totally the same way. I think I talked about this on the podcast before, but I remember going to a restaurant and my friend said, I will order you as a vegan restaurant. I will order anything that you want. Just try vegan food. And I had a very limited, very limited knowledge of what vegan food was, but I went there and I saw things that I didn't know. I, I didn't I wasn't familiar with them. And so the only thing I ordered from this restaurant that had Asian mock meats was steamed white rice. And and mm. I, he paid 50 cents for me to eat the steamed white rice. But I thought, oh, this is too weird. I want meat. This is just not what I want. And I only ate the white rice. Right. In my case, it was not so much like a fear of, of new products, but it was always the fear of like that it would always be less than what I was used to, less tasty than than what I really wanted to have, which was meat. <clears throat> and my mother tried to drag me to a vegetarian restaurant and she said like, yeah, it's good, you have to try. And it took me a long time to be convinced actually. And what what was the change? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I we ate there and uh, and I remember it was, um, I mean, that restaurant was, was good food and, and that opened my mind to some extent. And then later I... Um, at university, I uh, I had a friend who was vegetarian, and he uh, he gave me um, um, Peter Singer's Animal Liberation to read, and I got kind of like convinced. I mean, I got really convinced by that, but even then, it was still difficult to put it entirely into practice. Even then, I I first I did it in in steps, um, so yeah, it was a, a very gradual process. Peter Singer's book Animal Liberation is actually the book that made me go vegan as mm -hmm. well. It, uh, I picked it up at a used bookstore when I was in college. I had no idea the significance of the book. Like this is a groundbreaking book 
in this kind of space. Yeah. Uh, right, I think it was written in the 70s, right? Like uh, uh, 75, old, I think. Yeah, an older book. I just picked it up at a store. I was like, I like animals. We'll see what happens. And I and I read it in like a day and I, it just completely changed my life. I was like, mm. had a whole new understanding of utilitarianism and just how, how to make an impact in the world. So that's so cool. I'd love for you, to, you just mentioned utilitarianism and I'd love for either of you to expand on that for people who don't, know what that means in terms of, uh, animal, animal issues. Yeah. I mean, utilitarianism or, or consequentialism. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a philosophical direction, let's say, or philosophy where you're going to, um, look at what, what the results are, the consequences are of an action and the consequences when they're good or they're bad. I mean, that is what determines the, the, and the rightfulness or the desirability of the action, which is as opposed to, um, uh, yeah, could oppose it to deontological ethics with a difficult word, which is about uh, virtues and values. And, and for instance, I mean a classical, classical um, thought experiment that that we could we could um, consider is like suppose some some crazy billionaire wants to give you one million euros or dollars if you eat a steak as a vegan. And then, well, on the one hand, you could say like, no, that's against my values. I'm not going to eat a steak. I'm not eating animals. Suppose you're an ethical uh, vegetarian or vegan. Um, but somebody else might say, and that's the consequentialist viewpoint, they would say, well, I'm going to eat that steak and I'm going to accept the money and I'm going to give the money as a donation to an animal rights organization. So the result would be, of you accepting the money, the result would be, that you save a lot more animals than um, just by not eating that steak. So that's that's maybe an illustration of of, um, of utilitarian thinking versus more deontological thinking. Yeah, I love that explanation, and it also hit home with me just to think about suffering in general in the world. And I knew that I wanted to reduce suffering, but um, thinking in a utilitarian perspective is thinking of what actions can I do to reduce the greatest amount of suffering? And like mm-hmm. that example you just gave, sometimes it's not as uh, straightforward as you think. Like we think we choose the vegan food. We're always choosing the right thing all the time, always. And it's that easy, right. but it's not that easy. It's uh, We have to think a little bit more critically and just open our mind a little bit more to see what's truly reducing the most suffering and and creating the greatest good in the world. And I think Mm -hmm. that that is the perfect segue into what we brought you onto the show to talk about. And and that is, how can we be the best models and advocates for a plant-based diet? And to many, that is show how you can be perfect and how it can be done. And despite all of the obstacles, I'm 100% trying my best to be perfect. Uh, when there are other people who think, I want to show how easy it is. I want to show that, um, you know, even though I'm 98% vegan, uh, it is just as perfect. And there's no, yeah, it's okay to slip up. There Mm -hmm. is no difference in the grand scheme of things if I'm 90, 95% vegan or 100% vegan. And so can you talk about your, uh, your feelings on this? Yeah, sure. Um, so well, I, I have three concepts. The first one is that 100% vegan is not really 
well, it's 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 hard to define what that is exactly, uh, and I always explain that by by um, giving the illustration of a book that's called Veganissimo. So Veganissimo is defined as uh, vegan to the being vegan to the highest possible standard, and that that is a, a little book that has 300 pages of ingredients that are of animal origin or possibly of animal origin, and you could conceivably imagine that there is a vegan who says, like, I'm studying this book by heart, I'm learning everything about everything there is to know about animal ingredients and I'm avoiding all the animal ingredients and I'm the perfect vegan. And, and that person could say to everybody else that they're not a perfect vegan. I mean, so it's, it's a very relative thing and it's, it's a, a bit of a, uh, a foolish quest, you know, to be like, to be this hundred percent vegan. So yeah, and I just think to, it's, just to put that into perspective for people who may, may not have thought too much about this issue. Like when you eat vegetables, they're probably grown in cow manure. When you are buying plants at the store, almost all of that soil has, you know, fish blood or bone meal or animal products in it. Like if you're wearing contact lenses, they were tested on animals. Like if you take any medication ever, it was tested on animals. So they're to, to be, to actually be a perfect vegan, like even if you dedicate your life to that, is virtually impossible. I would say. Yeah, it it is it is virtually impossible, and it's also pretty much useless. I mean, right. it it doesn't have it doesn't make a, a difference in the in the grander scheme of things, and it could actually be even counterproductive because if you want other people to imitate your behavior to, and if you want to influence people, then it's good to set the bar not too high, and with being a normal vegan much less uh, a very 110% vegan. Being a normal vegan is already setting the, the bar quite high. So I'm actually in favor of something like like considering like a 98 or a 99% vegan a vegan. You know, I, I'm, I'm in, and I get criticized for that by, by some people. But I think that, that if we could consider veganism as, as something that is not a 100% thing, but it's like a 99, 98, whatever percent thing, there is a limit, of course, somewhere, that it would be so much more achievable for people. Um, and I'm not saying like everybody could call themselves a vegan, of course. And, um, I'm not saying that that people have to make these exceptions, but I'm thinking that um, if we have a little bit more of a flexible um, concept of what veganism is, we could make the club a lot bigger. And and the thing is that if we do that, and if we have a lot of people being a certain percentage of certain percent vegan, then it would change society because it would become so much easier to go all the way because there would be more alternatives. So that's the way you create change by creating a lot of demand. And you're not creating a lot of demand by having just a tiny percent of 100% vegans. You create a lot of demand by having actually a lot of uh, reducers, a lot of people who consume these products in one way or another um, and drive up demand and then drive up supply. And as supply goes up, as we have more and more options, then uh, it becomes easier for everybody to shift more and more on the vegan spectrum and and maybe end up being all the way vegan and and, and end up with a vegan world. Yeah, I love that. I I think it's so fascinating how much... um policing there is around the word vegan. It's kind of exploding right, right now, especially on the internet with like YouTubers and everything being like, I'm vegan. Oh, you can't call yourself vegan. Oh, you should be calling yourself plant-based. You're not really vegan. When to in Regardless of what your mission is when you choose to be vegan, the word vegan does not mean anything. Like it's, it's just a word. It's a label you're assigning to yourself and it has no meaning in terms of practical application to the effectiveness of your actions. And there is no such thing as 100% vegan. So when you're saying, 
I want to consider 99% or 98% vegan, vegan, we're we're all, not, maybe we're 99 point something percent vegan, but <laughs> none of us are 100%. So to, to try and uh, create a definition that qualifies a certain percentage of our actions being perfectly vegan, and then you can use that word is so silly to me. <laughs> it's like if someone's yeah. aspiring to that word, use it, empower people to use it. That means that they're working towards that. I, I almost feel like vegan should be like, this is what I'm working towards. And we all accept imperfection in that journey. Yeah. And actually, if you, and I wrote this in my book, if you look at um, at the original ideas of Donald Watson, who founded the, the Vegan Society in 1944, his idea was like, let's look at direction more than than the perfection of the practice so let's let's welcome everybody to this movement who agrees with the direction who agrees that we should not have this and this in the world um but who don't necessarily um are able to like demonstrate the behavior right at that moment and and that's fine for me i mean i can imagine that some people agree in practice uh, or in principle but cannot like do it in practice yet. And we may say like, well, you, then you're a hypocritical, then you're a hypocrite or whatever. But in a sense, we're, we're all like that. I mean, I agree that we should not have clothes that are not fair trade. I agree that we should not have any, any things that run on fossil fuels. But I'm using all these things right now. I'm not like a, 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 a total abstainer of these products. Right. So I'm, I'm inconsistent myself and we all are. And, and so why would be uh, only in the vegan field emphasize this 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 black and whiteness this 100%ness while we don't do that in other in other areas that's a good point uh, michelle mentioned that right now on the internet there's a big divide between people who feel that you should strive to be 100% vegan and then other people who are trying to say it's okay uh, like like yourself and i we both, Michelle and I both work on the internet. So we see all of all of the comments everywhere. And I wanted to bring up one example of where I think that more purist vegans miss the mark. And that is if, if Carl's Jr. is offering a vegan burger and many people are saying, oh, you shouldn't be shopping at um, Carl's Jr. or it's made on the same grill, so you shouldn't be eating it because that's not vegan. I think that's missing the mark and doing harm to our our total cause. Can you mm-hmm. talk about how you feel about that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you don't want to eat at Carl's Jr. for whatever reason, whether it's because it's capitalist or because it's uh, it's maybe contaminated by the, by the grill or whatever, then that's your business. And then please don't do that. But um, I would strongly recommend that these people don't like go out and 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 tell other people that that's not a vegan thing to do, and 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 try to like force their version of the definition of veganism on other people, um, because the definition <laughs> is already complicated enough. I mean, for people not to eat dairy and eggs and meat and fish, that's difficult enough. So if you're gonna like put in all kinds of other conditions, that's really hard. It's gonna be even harder. And secondly, um, I mean, like you say, they're missing the point of, of, of the advantage of this whole thing. The, the, the thing is that uh, a restaurant chain like Carl's Jr. can, can help mainstream this whole thing, can, can help put this vegan burger into the mouths of many new people, can help um, advertise it. Uh, because it has a big advertising budget, can help make it more convenient for everybody to, to eat like that. And I mean, this, this comes down to like, 
what I talk about in my book a lot um, about idealism, we sometimes we are too idealistic. We want everything to be perfect. I mean, also in this sense, we want things to be, the products to be from a small, tiny, idealistic company that um, that is somehow out of outside of the capitalist system or whatever, that only does good, that there's no gray there. I mean, that's the only product that some people would eat. And, and, and many companies are not like that. But we have to um, accept that, that things are going to like, evolve slowly and that companies that we don't like they will slowly but surely become better hopefully and they will not become ideal overnight they will also probably not go bankrupt um so if people want to boycott them that's fine but but if we want change that's the only thing that it's going to happen i think that they slowly but surely start offering better products new products that are um being taken by people that are being bought by people um and it's not ideal, but it's the only realistic way. Yeah, I think it's so important that all of the companies that exist that are imperfect or even f- like far imperfect, like they're making mm-hmm. most of their money off of slaughtering animals. These are right. still human beings that are doing a job with the information they know and they're longstanding mm-hmm. companies. And like if we need to allow them a path to evolve and not expect them all to get shut down and replaced by perfection, because oh, as we know, there's no perfection, but uh, creating that path is so important. I mean, and, and that's not to say we all don't want, like, I think all, all three of us sitting here today have an ideal for the world and it matches those that are embracing the ideas of perfection. Of course, we want to live in a world where we don't have to compromise our ethics at all, where everything's perfect, where we don't have to harm anyone else in any of our actions and all of that. But it's how we get there. And it's taking a, a more realistic approach rather than an idealistic approach to getting there. Exactly. And, and I think... I would add that like if you want to be perfect, if you don't want to like ever make your hands dirty by any slightly unpure product or, or communicating in a slightly unidealistic way or unideal way, if you want to be entirely pure, then basically you can't do much. You just have to sit in your room and you cannot work together with anybody because all the people that you want to make alliances with, um, they're going to like probably... Um, spread the message in a way that's not ideal for you. And so the only thing you can rely on is yourself. Um, and um, I think that's that's what I see happen a lot, um, is that um, people who want to be really pure, they um, they say, like, we can't work together with that. We can't go eat there. We can't do this. We can't do that. So they don't. They can hardly reach out. They can only do one-to-one conversations. That's the only thing that's that's pure enough. And this is also one of the reasons why there is sometimes criticism going from individual vegans and Facebook vegans and grassroots vegans to animal rights organizations, animal rights organizations and other organizations who are, uh, by necessity, a lot more pragmatic because they want to reach a lot of people. And in order to reach a lot of people, they have to work together with all kinds of institutions and, and instances. And that's going to make for a less pure message than um, ideally is, 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 is wanted. Um, so if you want to do stuff, you sometimes have to make your hands dirty. I'm curious to know if this is how you've always felt or is this something that you've evolved over time into thinking? Because I know that for myself, when I first became vegan, I was so passionate. I was just fired up and I wanted everyone to be this way. And I was much more judgmental and probably as critical as some of the people on the internet. And I was was working for vegan organizations and I felt like this is what needs to be done. But as I moved 
to doing what I do now on plant-based on a budget, I began to hear the obstacles and I, I had direct communication every day with people who want to do the best that they can. And I started embracing that idea and seeing the potential of, of how much change can be made if it's like you were saying, less than perfect. So if a lot of people are doing more than a few people doing perfect, uh, more change is made. So how, how has that evolved for you? Yeah, I think I went through an, uh, through an evolution much like yours, like I was uh, in the beginning, a much more radically communicating person. And um, I was a black and white person. I was saying things like, well, um, if you don't get it, then then you're wrong and um, things like that. Um, and I think that it changed uh, when I found an organization and when I actually wanted to change things. And when I um, when I realized that, look, if I want to change things, we have to partner up with all kinds of like um, institutions. And um, and that's when we discovered, okay, we have to uh, adapt our message and we have to allow other people to use a slightly different message or a completely different message even. We have to be able to tolerate that because if it's just us, we're not going to veganize the world by ourselves. So you become more pragmatic uh, just by working together with other people and also just by, yeah, I think, I mean, one of my my favorite qualities in a, in a human being is is to be open-minded, um, to be open-minded about about everything. Uh, and to be able to question everything. And I think um, we get thrown into this movement, sort of, like, you know, when we become vegan, then then the default position of a vegan is, is to not question things anymore within this field, you know, like mm-hmm. like we were questioning meat and dairy, et cetera. But, but then we end up in, in what I call this vegan box where we, where we stop questioning again, where we think like, okay, it's very clear what veganism is. It's that. And, and it's defined and we don't have to, to look for answers anymore. We, and we found some kind of like clarity that maybe many, many of us like want somehow or, or, or long for. Um, and so I think at some point I, I, I started to, to think deeper about these things and started to like, um, yeah, wonder like, is it all so simple? Um, have all the answers been given? Uh, is the definition the ideal definition? Uh, and that was also thanks to uh, to some people within the movement, like for instance, um, uh, Matt Ball, um, Bruce Friedrich, um, uh, Paul Shapiro, um, people who um, I think were were, were quite uh, clear thinkers um, in the field of like looking at um, results rather than rules. Yeah, definitely. I I went through that same thing where I felt like uh, when when I learned of all of the benefits of vegan, like that that was the key to solving all of these world issues. But learning about other issues that go kind of beyond vegan, it has has also really helped me understand mm-hmm. that like that there's so much more than this this one right. defined word. And like an example of that is chocolate. So chocolate can be vegan, but a lot of chocolate comes sourced from places that used child labor and slave labor. And there's all of these issues within the chocolate industry. So just because you're getting something that's a vegan chocolate doesn't mean it's free of cruelty and exploitation. Exploitation. And another way, another topic that I've recently gotten more interested in that, have, that has made me more cog- cognizant of the path and the journey and the amount of effort that it takes to um, kind of progress and get our actions to match our values is the zero waste movement. Which again, this is something that it's impossible to be 
purely zero waste, but some people strive to it to the point where they can put all their waste from a whole year into a mason jar. Um, and those people, same people talk about how there's all these people um, trying to get people to live to that level of perfection, but it would make such a bigger difference if we would all just limit our waste more in our daily lives, lives in the easy ways. And so, yeah, that's, that's been something that's been interesting to talk about and focus on in my own life as I'm like trying to cut plastic out of my life in, in different ways, but I still see myself using so much of it. And I think, gosh, if I had told myself I need to do this all at once or not at all, um, or either call myself zero waste or call myself a, a, earth hater. Um, it, it was just, there's just, <laughs> there's no, two options. Yeah. The two options. Like I, mm-hmm. I would have been like, Oh, there's, I can't, I can't do this. So I just give up on it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think for with Tony and myself, with our work, we see that so often of people learning about, Oh, I see there's all these benefits to plant-based. I'm going to give it a try. And then they'll post some things on the internet, calling them vegan or tagging them vegan or tagging them plant-based. And then they'll post something accidentally not vegan, or they haven't gotten all the way yet. And they just get an influx of attack and finger pointing and policing that makes them run so far in the other direction and think, I can't, this isn't for me. I can't do it. And this isn't a space that I feel safe in. And so it's, it's actively turning a lot of people away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the way you said it about, um, zero waste, like being an earth hater or, or, or being uh, zero waste. I mean, that, that dichotomy sounds, sounds nuts, but it is the way many people within the vegan movement think about it as an all or nothing thing. You're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. Uh, I think when you make a significant effort to reduce your product, your consumption of animal products, you're already part of the solution. And if everybody did that, we'd have a completely different world, maybe even a vegan world. Um, so, so yeah, those all those those um, that criticism of each other is is completely futile and unhealthy. Um, and I'm I'm kind of fascinated with with where it comes from, what what, what the psychology is behind it, because it, it it I think it is something very human, you know, to like want clarity, to want black and whiteness, and maybe some people have more of that desire than than other people. Um, but but I mean, both with the critics as with the people doing it, there is a striving for being. Um, entirely consistent and i think i've written that in my book i think consistency to some extent is overrated i mean it it sounds like a very nice thing to have or to do to be consistent but it's impossible um and and we shouldn't like be distracted by the demands of consistency that we put on ourselves or that other people either vegans or non-vegans put on us um it's like i mean like you can be sure that that of course, Al Gore, like like flying around the world preaching or, or talking about climate change, and he's done he's done a great job. Uh, that he gets this accusation of like being inconsistent. Or we have these climate marches here in Belgium, uh, and uh, and students go to to Brussels to the capital, and then people complain, oh, they're in, in, in favor of the environment, they're, they want to fight for the environment, but then they all go to go massively uh, to Brussels and they use transportation. I mean, that's that's like completely completely ridiculous arguments and it's it is hard to to fight these arguments because they are used of course as as excuses also by people um people want to want to find an excuse to do nothing and that's why they 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 will talk about inconsistency and that gives 
that creates a lot of pressure on vegans to be as consistent as possible so that we won't be accused and attacked. But but I think somehow we have to let go of that fear of being inconsistent. Yeah, it's kind of like we have to find this balance um, of, I think, most importantly, is, is focusing on ourselves and what we can do because recognizing that we're all imperfect and we can all be doing better. So rather than pointing fingers and pointing out what other people are doing wrong, let's look at ourselves and say, okay, I, I feel like I'm really, really super vegan right now. Well, what else can I do? Like, is it my plastic waste? Is it my use of chocolate? Are there, are, can I be volunteering more? Can I help? Like, look at ourselves rather than pointing our fingers mm-hmm. at others. Um, I think I think that that would make such a big difference. Yeah, and and in general, maybe maybe the the emphasis on our own personal behavior. I mean, I've 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 changed my mind a bit about that. I mean, it sounds very good to like just sweep the the floor in front of your own door, as they say, you know, like and make sure your behavior is really good. But um, I think that much more important is to try to influence other people. Um, I mean, you you of course you have to have a certain standard of behavior. Um, but rather than try to perfect that behavior, it's much more important to focus on on reaching out to others and, and to have others imitate the desired behavior. Um, so put your efforts and your energy in reaching out rather than in trying to achieve perfection. I, I totally, totally agree. And you know, a lot of people feel like you know, I don't have a big social media platform. I don't have a lot of friends who are in this community, the vegan community. Uh, but there there are a lot of ways that you can still influence people without having a massive social media reach. You can host dinners at your house. You can just go out with people and be a normal, kind, friendly vegan and say, hey, do you want to buy to this? And introduce people in, in that way too. Like For example, most of my friends are non-vegans. I'm a big swing dancer. And through swing dance over the years, I've been able to share meals with so many people who have become, I would say, 90% plant-based now because of over time with a lot of patience and grace and kindness on my part, um, sharing food with them and explaining or just modeling my behavior and educating when they're ready. So yeah, it, exactly. It, I mean, you can do a lot of a lot of stuff in 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 with just influencing people around you, and um, I think that's that's so much more important than than putting all this focus on becoming. Yeah, and I think that's how we all three of us got to where we are now, and kind of our approach to this is at least for me, I, I've been doing sort of various types of vegan advocacy for a long long, long time. And my approach has kind of changed a lot. And what has landed me to where I am now is seeing uh, what uh, is just seeing the amount of people that have been changing and coming to me for a support or advice or people I haven't talked to in ages being like, hey, I'm thinking of going vegan or I, I, I want some vegan recipes. Can you help me out? And it started happening way more when I stopped pushing and being so, um, I don't know, I more stepped back and led by positive example and, and like I'd share things, but I wouldn't, um, I don't know, be, be posting, posting graphic videos every day on my Facebook or, or saying, oh my God, this is so wrong. Instead, I would be saying, look how health, I focus on the positive benefits and I focus on just leading by positive example. And I've seen so many more people in my own life and also just like seeing what I do on the internet coming to me for support, um, with that more relaxed, um, Mm -hmm. perspective. 
Yeah, I, I think if you can trust that many people will go on this path and will do the right thing or want to do the right thing, then it becomes important to be a person that they can be comfort- comfortable with, that they can go to with their questions, that they trust that um, you will not make them feel more guilty. You know, people that they can talk to, that's that's who we should be rather than people who attack and make things very complicated and very perfectionistic or idealistic. Can can we take a second to talk about your book? I am very curious about what inspired you and how long you had been thinking of sharing those ideas. Uh, you have a book called How to Create a Vegan World, A Pragmatic Approach. Can you um, tell us about, about the process and what brought you to that concept? Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, after I uh, led in a, a vegan organization for 15 years, I, uh, I quit that organization and then I went kind of to the meta level of um, no longer talking sp- specifically to, to meat eaters, but talking to the people who are talking to the meat eaters. So, to, so I, I'm talking to activists and, and that's in that context, this book is written as well. And I I gathered my knowledge of, of 15 years of campaigning and reading and talking to people, etc. Um, and I put them in that book. And so that book is um, is a strategy um, for for the creation of a vegan world. It's not a book about the um, the why of uh, veganism. It's about the how. How can we make this happen? And so it is directed at people who are already on our side of the fence, who are already agreeing with the direction. And it basically sets out or lays out a very uh, pragmatic strategy in the sense that, for instance, uh, two aspects of this pragmatism are uh, we don't have to ask for all or nothing. We don't have to ask for for people to go vegan all the time. A reducitarian message uh, or a message of reduction it can also be very helpful because if we have a critical mass of reducers, that is what may create a tipping point. And the second one is the motivations don't really matter. I mean, it doesn't matter what you lead with uh, when you try to influence people. It doesn't matter whether it's health or animals or uh, environment because people's motivations change. And um, a central aspect of the book is that actually behavior change can come before attitude change. So you might get a person um, to taste uh, vegan meals now and then for whatever reason. And the idea then is that um, as a result of that, they will realize there's nothing much to lose and their mind will open up to all these benefits of, of veganism, I to- especially the ethical reasons. I totally relate to that. I did not know anything about ethical vegetarianism or veganism. And over time, I was cutting out animal products because I was a runner and I wanted to improve my running. And it wasn't until like four years of slowly cutting out animal products that I came to that I came to the vegan message uh, with the animal ethics portion uh, with an open mind. And mm-hmm. I think because I had already stopped contributing for the most part to the things that led to animal suffering, that I was more on board with it and listened and was just more open to change in my own behavior. Exactly. Uh, and I think it works a lot like that. And maybe also at a societal level, like if you look at, at um, the banning of, of, of whale hunting in 1986, we banished whale hunting almost worldwide. And, and my question is, how difficult would that have been if we had still been using uh, whale oil at that time as a fuel? You know, um, so this is a case where, where 
behavior change comes first where we become less dependent on something and then have a much easier time changing our attitude about that because we're not dependent on it anymore. And and that is a it's very simple, it's very obvious when you think about it, but that is a direction that is is, is often forgotten by by animal rights activists especially, which or who uh, believe that we have to give people the information, the information, the information, raising awareness, raising awareness, and then it will change their, their their behavior. And it does work like that sometimes, but it often doesn't. And and that's why we also need to work in this other direction by giving people great food, uh, which will then open their hearts and minds to the arguments. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, for anyone who's listening who is just stepping into plant-based eating, do you have any advice? Um, so yeah, I mean, I would like what we've discussed, um, it's important to do it at your own pace. It's important to eat well and to eat good food and to enjoy, to keep enjoying food. So if you're not doing it with enjoyment, um, then you have to look a bit further and, 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 and make sure that you can enjoy good food, uh, because that's, that's what's going to help make it stick. Um, it is good to like, um, have or, or be open to all the different arguments, um, health, environment, animals, uh, because that also can increase your motivation. Um, and I'd say also like companionship or, or people who like uh, are already experienced or want to um, uh, do part of that road together with you. Um, that's That's also important that you don't go it alone. Yeah, that is awesome. I, I do want to say one beautiful thing about the word vegan and um, kind of a, a, attributing that label or trying to trying to step into that direction is that it does make choices easier. And a lot of times when we try and do something new and every single choice we have to make takes up our mental energy, it, it, it weighs on us. Like if we're, if every single meal we have to decide, oh, am I going to eat meat today? Or am I going to choose this today? Oh, I don't know. You feel good about it. You feel bad about it. It just weighs on us having to make all those decisions. And so for that reason, when people just decide, okay, I'm going to go vegan now and I'm going to just make the vegan choice when it's available or all the time. It it seems to like take that weight of decision making off and making it easier. And I hope that those listening can can see that there's a difference between saying that and expecting to be a perfect vegan. So like I think it can be easy the easiest route to say I'm going to be vegan, but I don't have to be perfect or have these expectations that I can never slip up. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So what you're talking about is, is about veganism as a heuristic that helps you make choices and helps you decide to avoid decision fatigue and to make things easier. And that's indeed totally different than following a, a rule very rigidly. Um, so yeah, I would recommend that people do it like that. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing your expertise. I I even learned a lot and we we talk about this all the time too. So thank you for sharing uh, your experience and we'll definitely be linking your book in the show notes. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Tobias. Bye. Th thank you. If for anyone listening, if you need some resources or help or support as you step along the plant-powered path or as you want to go vegan, um, you can always find that at our websites. Tony's is plantbasedonabudget.com and you can find tons of really affordable, amazing, delicious, foolproof recipes there. She also has lots of cookbooks. Just find all the resources there. And then at my website, worldofvegan.com, we have tons of how to go vegan guides for everything that you think you might be missing. Ice cream, cheese, dairy 
dairy, all the things um, and recipes there as well. So you can find all that over in the show notes. And thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, we'll see you later. 